Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning, this is Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss. Hello, thank you for joining. Jazz Shapers, of course, is the place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul, alongside their equivalents in the world of business. We call them business shapers. My business shaper today is Ollie Manel, co-founder and CEO of Neom Organics, an aromatherapy and well-being brand using natural ingredients. A former investment analyst, Ollie founded Neom Organics in 2005 with his friend Nicola Elliott. That's where the Neom comes from, just in case you were wondering. Nicola had spent seven and hectic years working 60-hour weeks, she says, as an editor for Glamour magazine. I noticed my own well-being and that of my close friends was being affected by the stress and demands of a modern-day busy life. The worst offenders? Poor sleep, stress, low energy and mood swings. I think we can all relate to that. Nicola decided to train as an aromatherapist and nutritionist, and she and Ollie scrabbled together £15,000. In fact, Ollie won some of his on a TV game show classic entrepreneurial fundraiser launching with natural candles most candles are still made with paraffin wax you may not know that they've since expanded their range into an additive free luxury lifestyle and skincare line that's a mouthful sold online and across high-end stores in the uk their retail sales are around 25 million pounds not bad we'll talk to ollie in a few minutes we've also got brilliant music from amongst others georgie fame wayne shorter and al Giraud. that's today's jazz shapers here's george benson with living inside your love That was George Benson, the one and only, living inside your love. Ollie Minnell's my business shaper, as you heard earlier, co-founder of Neom Organics. They make beautiful smelling candles and the like and many other things now. And they've got rather a big business. It's like one of those things you haven't heard of and suddenly you have and then it's everywhere. Hello. Hello. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me. They've let you out. I, I know that Nicola gets does lots of these things. But today, Ollie... This is your moment. <laughs> you see, Nicola's been keeping me in a little cupboard up in Harrogate for the past 14 years. You're right, she never usually lets me out, but today's my lucky day. So tell me about how this, the, the, firstly the friendship, and secondly the business. Why would a man like you decide to do a thing like this? So first of all, so Nick and I go back quite a long way. Um, our fathers are, are both really good friends living up in Yorkshire. They're both entrepreneurs. Um, both of them uh, left school quite young and went into the car trade my dad had a uh, had a car garage near Scunthorpe and uh, Nick's dad had a, a motor auction near Leeds and so we both kind of I guess uh, were destined somewhat to follow the entrepreneurial path indeed like my dad would do various entrepreneurial training things with me growing up as kids and one of the ones I remember really vividly was uh, at age 10 telling me I could have a pair of trainers taking me into you know a proper Nike shop allowing me to choose said trainers and then telling me he wasn't going to give me all the money to buy them. So they were 50 quid, gave me 40, and I had to go as a 10-year-old to the store manager and say, 
I haven't quite got the money. Would I be able to get them for less? And you're obviously com- completely dying with embarrassment. And the, and the store manager says, no, I'm afraid that's not how it works. And then we're limping back to my dad and him saying, well, you know, why don't you ask for the store manager and just seeing if he'll do a deal for cash? And so, and also hand him the cash as well. So it kind of feels like he's already kind of like, you know, it'd be hard to give you the money back. <laughs> And so, and so, there I went, trotted back again, and uh, and asked asked to asked to see the store manager. Did those things, dying with embarrassment. And actually, they they gave me the trainers for forty quid, ten quid off. So there were little things like that all the time. So it's just entrepreneurial training camp, as I call it. And I think Nick's dad did some of the things to her. And so we both just said to each other, um, you know, wouldn't it be nice one day to, you know, have our own business and do our own thing? And Nick went off into the world of magazines. So she rose really quickly uh, to become the associate editor at Glamour. And, and then I went into private equity off, uh, straight out of school, something I've been working really hard you know, for uh, the, the previous five years to get into. I had a really lucky break actually trying to get into that. And then, um, and then about two years in, uh, Nick gave me a call and said, I've had an idea for a business. And so I went round to hers and we talked about it. And, and that's where it began. Just like that. Well, I mean, it's amazing, though, but it sounds like you were kind of, it was 20 years in the making, as it were. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say 20 years in the making. I think we were always going to do something. I thought I would be at least 30 before I went and did my own thing. But you I were was 20, Well, I was 21 when I went into private equity, wow. which had been a series of lucky events that had got me into that position in the first place. Um, and then I was 23 when I, when I left. Uh, and that was actually one of the hardest things I've ever done, is going into my boss's office, having been given a dream job and having you know, a fortune spent on my education by the private equity firm to say that I was leaving to set up a well-being brand. <laughs> um, and it's quite emotional, actually. And, uh, and, so, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's when it started. And, and Nick basically uh, was living this quite stressful lifestyle, working late, working hard, getting quite stressed out. And at the same time, I was doing 14, 15 hour days, albeit quite young and could do it. And uh, and she started blending these um, essential oil blends at home to help uh, her friends and herself to get better sleep and lower stress. And um, and they started to work, and people started to give her really good feedback. And then she said she got me around for dinner and showed me showed me what was what she'd kind of happened upon. And she said, "Why don't you do the business and I'll do the creativity, and we'll make it up as we go along." And and uh, and that was the first conversation. And then I went away and had a good think about it. And then, uh, and then that's when it started. And here we are, 14 years later, so something's working. Business plus creativity equals lots of fun and a successful business too. So you got together, and in the beginning, obviously money was tight. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, you, you won some money on a, on a game show. Vernon Kay was the presenter. And <coughs> Boys and Girls was the name of the programme. He's dying here slowly in front of me. It's quite funny. Uh, and I think it was produced by Chris Evans. And you won a few thousand quid. And that was the few thousand quid that got sunk into the business. Well, yeah, actually... It Lucky. Was, it, it was more than that. It was 100 grand. Oh, was and, it? And I was 20 years old. Oh, blimey, I didn't realise it was that much. I, I thought it was like stu- 10,000 quid. 100. Yeah, I was, a stu- oh, it was the, I think it was the biggest prize on television before Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Uh, I was 20 years old. I was in my final year at uni. And they came around saying, we've got this idea for a game show. We want, want to have people come down and audition. And, and I did. Um, four of my friends got on the show, 100 boys against 100 girls. Embarrassing process for who gets into the final, but that was me. I was one of three in the final. I then had to recreate a dance routine live on, live on air. Vernon Kay opens the show with a 1960s dance routine with 10 backing dancers either side. The three finalists had to recreate said dance routine. And then the live studio audience vote for their favourite, which was me. 
and then you basically go on what is a, what I can only describe as a blind date with a hundred grand. So you choose your favourite member of the opposite sex, a lady called Gemma, and then you get put up in a penthouse in Battersea for a week. And you've got every day you've got to spend the money, and if and there's little challenges each day. And if you don't spend the money, you don't keep the money of the day. So twenty grand, ten items from ten streets in alphabetical order, starting with A. Go. If you haven't bought the tenth item by the tenth by the by the by five pm, lose all the money. And then you go back on the game show a week later and you've got to answer three questions out of five, otherwise everything goes back to the shops. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I answered the questions correctly and then um, a week later a, con- a 40-foot container on an articulated lorry arrives outside my family home and all the stuff that I bought arrived, including a Porsche 993 Carrera, <laughs> Bang & Offs and sound systems. What did you do with it all? So I basically I spent all. 40 grand on myself, 40 yeah. grand on my family yeah. and 20 grand on Gemma. And the 40 grand that I spent on myself was mainly the Porsche. And I drove it for about a month. And then what, you're like, <laughs> like, I can't a, do this. Looked like a complete idiot. And I was like, well, you know, like, who is this guy? Like, just, I just, it wasn't me either. So did so, you sell it? You just sell it? So I sold it. Yeah. And then I used that money to buy a little council house in Harrogate with a friend in my final summer at uni, which we renovated <laughs> and sold. And then, uh, and, then, and then I moved down to London to get the job in private equity. And uh, that allowed me to buy my first one-bedroom flat in London. And then, and then, and then, when it came to setting up Neom, um, I was able to t- remortgage and take, uh, I think it was seven and a half thousand pounds out. And Nick sold her car, and that was our startup capital. So I've got Chris Evans to thank as my. Oh, wow. uh, he wouldn't know this, but as my no. unofficial startup angel well, investor. If he listens, he'll know after this. Wait, very good. So I was looking at seven and a half. Thought oh, that's that's really good that you could do that. I didn't realise there was a hundred thousand yeah, pounds of start yeah, over here. Yeah, and 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 Gemma and you don't talk to each other anymore. Are you oh, still, we're friends. We, 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 we kept in touch for a few years. We yeah. got on really well. We're friends on Facebook. Um, but no, I haven't seen her for a while now. Actually, she lives <laughs> in, she lives in London. Maybe she was sending her parcel of neon goods. We haven't done <laughs> yeah, maybe, that. Maybe yeah. So so in in terms of those early years once you got the money from this yeah. uh, the, the nefarious ways that you just described um what was it like i mean you talked about this for a while with your friend and um as you said entrepreneurs in the background actually doing it yeah. in those first few years i imagine was quite tough and a bit scary yeah um well so nick had the genesis of this idea that really high quality pure essential all blends can help you sleep lower your stress increase your energy lift your mood but then we were thinking, what's the right kind of vehicle to put this thing in to make it um, interesting? And so we, we, we looked at candles initially and we didn't know anything about how to make a candle. I mean, literally nothing. Um, but we're both quite inquisitive and curious people. And, and we managed to kind of locate a few candle manufacturers in the UK. And then we went to them and said, look, we've got this idea. We want to put these oils that help people sleep into candles. And they were like, well, people don't do that. They use synthetic fragrances, which are kind of a chemical compound made in a lab. Uh, and we're like, well, no, we don't want to use that. We want to use pure essential oils. And so a lot of people turned us down. And then we found someone who was prepared to use them, but it had to go in paraffin wax, which is a derivative of crude oil. And we were like, well, it doesn't really make sense to use a natural ingredient and then put it into something which comes from oil and it's not sustainable. So can we make it with vegetable waxes? And they were like, what's that? And so anyway, we went away, did our research and found out that you can actually make candles from uh, soy, rapeseed and castor. Uh, so sustainable vegetables, essentially. And so it took us another year or so to find someone who was prepared to make a natural vegetable wax candle with pure essential oils. And we went through hundreds and hundreds of samples. It took us about 18 months or even two years. And eventually we came out with a range of five candles. Um, We launched it at the Harrogate Gift Fair, which is actually where I'm from. Um, We took a two metre by one metre stand. Nick and I stood behind it, the five candles on the front bench. You weren't allowed to burn candles in there either. <laughs> so we waited for the officials to leave the room and obviously lit them all up. 
And then within a few hours, we just had queues of people. When I say people, these are these are there's a small independent stockist boutique owners in the UK. It's business to business. And we opened up 50 accounts in the first three days. And why do you think, in a nutshell, why did they buy it so quickly? Why did people go, wow? Because at that point, there must be another candles around. No one, no, one, no one was doing what we were doing. Everything else was just a nice-smelling candle in a paraffin wax base. We had created something 100% naturally, clean, and it didn't just smell nice. The fragrances had a therapeutic benefit for you. So it was candle plus and uh, and it, and then and then so so the, those stockists bought in, and then um, yeah, the rest is history. Stay with me for more to find out what else happened and what next happened in this very very cool story of uh, following a little dream and keeping on going. It sounded like you had to do that for a while to find the right uh, manufacturers. More from my guest Oli Minella in a couple of minutes. And um, first, we're going to hear from our program partners at Mishkondreya. Some words of advice for your business. So I'm Joe Hancock, the cybersecurity lead at Mishkondreya. One of the most common problems I see people have at the moment is almost over-collecting data. There's an obsession with data and digital. That's a really good thing. It presents brilliant opportunities. But at the same time, collecting data that you don't really need or storing data that you really shouldn't store anymore prevents a massive risk. At the same time, as having that data gives you some good kind of business outcomes, having it there means there's a good a target for attackers. It means that you're much more likely to lose it. And if you don't delete it properly, you're much more likely to breach regulation. And all of this really starts to create a bit of a risk for business that isn't very well understood and isn't really well managed at the moment. Another whole set of problems that could be avoided very simply are just by doing the basics. If you use complex passwords, change your password regularly. Don't use the same password for for multiple services, as everybody does. Even just one or two different passwords will stop you being the victim of some of the large data breaches we've seen soon. They'll protect your identity. They'll help protect your bank accounts and your finances. Just by doing very, very simple things, either as an individual or as a business, you can remove most cyber risk that's out there at the moment. Nothing can ever be 100% secure, but at the same time, you really can make your own life and your business much better by doing these things. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There are many ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme with Ollie again. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes if you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes, Spotify, Deezer or whatever podcast platform you happen to use, you can enjoy the full archive there. But back to today and back to Ollie, co-founder and CEO of Neom Organics, an aromatherapy and wellbeing brand. You've been hearing Ollie talking about his very auspicious beginning, actually. So so you get these 50 people, and I, and I remember speaking to the Innocent guys uh, a couple of years ago, one of the one of the founders, and they did that thing at the festival, and then would you buy it? And people bought it, and they went, we've got something here. Did you know pretty quickly, hold on a minute, we've got something here? Or was there... Was it a bit like that didn't just happen, did it? No, we didn't. I mean, we didn't know what to benchmark. We didn't know what successful looked like for a trade fair. For all we knew, it was normal to open up 50 mm. new accounts at the trade fair. So so we, we didn't really know what good looked like. But then what happened about six months later is Kylie Minogue, she basically bought our range of candles and took it on her European tour with her. Um, and that kind of just came out of nowhere. And... That didn't necessarily have a material effect on the sales. It wasn't like we've never had one of those moments where suddenly overnight mm. sales just jump. But suddenly like awareness for the brand started kind of kind of creeping out. And then we took a phone call from Selfridges and they said, can we stock the product? And we're still in Nicholas flat by, the, by this point as well. So we literally her spare bedroom 
had floor-to-ceiling cartons of candles inside. Well, I wanted to ask you also, in that 18 months gestation where you were trying to find people to help you make what you wanted, how did you get by? Oh, man. I, I look back and think, how did we do it? We, we... I mean, just financially. Did yeah, you, were you still you had a bit of savings and stuff. Is that I mean, I mean, we're both in the, we're both in the situation where we we, we owned our our house, me mm. in a little studio flat, and Nick living in a in a flat in in um, in Islington. Mm. And honestly, I don't know. I mean, not just that. For the first eight years, we paid ourselves about twenty five grand a year. Mm. I mean, and then you know, all your friends are high flying this and that, and Nick's given up a basically you know an incredible career in journalism. She would have been an editor for for five or six years in a row by now. Mm. I would have been a 28-year-old private equity guy. Most people don't go into private equity until they're 30. Mm. I'd be a seven-year veteran of it. And here we are, literally scrubbing two coins together. So it was really, really difficult. But we chose to do it ourselves. We, we chose not to take any backing. And, and actually, I kind of feel in this day and age with entrepreneurs, you have the hare and the tortoise. And the hare goes straight out the gates and raises Series A, Series B, Series C before even 24 months is up. And the tortoise is like slowly doing 30% growth year after year, but they own the whole thing. Mm. And eventually that starts to become a very big business if you can hold on for the long run. And it is a marathon and you do start to get fatigue at times. It is really difficult. Those, so those first few years, obviously around 2013, things looked like they sort of started to pop and go, you know, that exponential curve suddenly happen because the 30% on becomes some scale. It yep. go from a couple of pounds to a lot more than that. Yep. At that moment, was there a, do I, were you clear on the, the key principles of why this business were working? And were you able to then, have you then been able to continue to scale those? Yeah, we realised we were something unique. We were, we're not a candle brand or a, or a skincare brand. We're a well-being brand. And if we can help people sleep better, lower their stress, increase their energy, then there's interesting ways that you can do that and no one in the world is doing it and like actually in the last two two three years there's been a few copycats coming up but the fact that we did this 14 years ago means with i think we are the brand with the momentum with the momentum now so so there wasn't necessarily like a pivotal moment where we just realized we were onto something it's just been this slow incremental growth 2011 we took a small amount of investment money from an angel a guy who'd built a brand in our territory and then, and then uh, a year ago, we took some private equity money from from a company called Piper, that's a consumer brand, mm. private equity company. But we waited 14 years to do that, which means we only had to sell a relatively small amount in order to kind of achieve what we want to achieve, which is now opening retail stores, international expansion, kind of going into the US this year. I've got a very big online business, just opened a beautiful store in Guildford. It's a three floor store with treatments on the first floor and a corporate showroom on the top floor. So we needed a bit of capital to start doing that because we've been reinvesting the profits of the business every single year. And you, 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 you can grow quite well at that point, but if you want to accelerate it at some point, it might, you might want to think about a capital, capital injection. In terms of the, the, the team that you've grown, how many people now work in the business? A hundred now. Okay, and are they yeah. all in one place or are they all over? We're circa 50 at our head offices in Harrogate. Yeah. For the first nine years we were in London, but we moved back. And what made you move back out of interest? Um, I think family. Um, you know, I was living in Notting Hill for seven or eight years and had, had, a, had a wonderful time living there. Um, my, and I married my beautiful wife, Sammy, and uh, she's a Londoner born and bred. And I was commuting up to Harrogate once a week for two days. And that's fine, but then when you start to have babies and stuff, uh, we've got two little boys now, um, it starts to become a very slow erosion on your soul a bit, doing mm. that much travel and living out of a suitcase the whole time. And, uh, and so Nick, Nick moved back a bit earlier than me. 
uh, with her family. She's from, she always wanted to move back, I think. And then we eventually moved back three years ago. So we now live in the Yorkshire Dales um, and the boys can actually, you know, I, I call them free range boys now, whereas in, <laughs> in, uh, in Notting Hill, it's more, more, of a, more, of a, more of a battery, battery boy. So, the, so 50 people in Harrogate. 50 people in Harrogate. Yeah. yeah. That's like cent, the, the central staff. Yeah. And then about 50 people across all of our retail stores and concessions and counters and, and stuff. And and in terms of the the way that you both lead the business, yeah. um, you talked about your business and Nicola's more the creative side. I imagine that morphs as well. It's not one thing or the other. Yeah. But in terms of your own way of managing people, how would you how would people describe you? Um, how would people describe me? I I think I'm uh, well. It's actually an interesting question because it's how do you perceive yourself? Yeah. How do others perceive you? And I think the closer they are to me the more it will be aligned. Mm-hmm. And the further they are away, the more you'll see the email version of me, which could be quite curt. Right. <laughs> whereas whereas the real version, I would say, is is very honest and to the point of it being uncomfortable. Like mm. I really believe you should never leave a room feeling like you should have said something to that person, but mm. you didn't and you harbour it because that can, that can start to eat you up inside. So I'm a real believer in having having uncomfortable conversations with people you know, both ways. And someone coming to me and saying, Ollie, you know that thing you said, like, it really made me feel this way. I, I, I really want people to believe they can say that to me and vice versa. So hopefully people will say that I'm honest. I'm like optimistic to a fault. So what I mean by that is in the old days, I would interview people. And if they didn't know the answer to a question, I would answer it for them. <laughs> and then I'd walk away thinking they'd, they'd done a brilliant job at answering that question. <laughs> so I kind of look for the good in people and I, and I gloss over everything else and so I've had to train myself really to to not do that anymore and and the good thing about all these things is I think any character trait or value can be changed and learned even the do things you? are 100% there's some things in, the, in life that you are in control of hmm. and I believe that character is one of them and there's some things you're not in control of you know whether the sun rises in the morning whether it rains tomorrow yeah. there's no point in worrying about those things but you can absolutely change who you are I do believe that and yeah. and Nicola her view of the world is she this is she similar to you so Nick and I are very different brains she is really creative very entrepreneurial she's also commercial I am I'm much more logical organized um and 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 in, in terms of managing people, I, I say I do more of that more of that now. While Nick kind of is left to create, but view on the world, I'd say Nick was slightly more pessimistic than I am, and so where I'm slightly too optimistic, somewhere in the middle is about normal, and we challenge each other all the time. But it's like a healthy challenge. That's actually a really important point. If you're thinking about starting a business, I'd really recommend choosing a business partner. But I'd really, really recommend that you choose someone who has complementary skills to you and shared values. Mm. If you choose someone who is fundamentally quite similar to you from a skill set perspective, you'll end up fighting over the same turf at some point. And if you're also from a values perspective, if one of you is just in it for the money and the other one wants to change the world, eventually you're going to fall out. So shared values, complementary skills... And Nick and I, I think, got lucky with that. We mm. do absolutely have shared values and complementary skills. We didn't know it at the time. And so it is like a marriage. We're now 15 years. I've actually spent more time with Nick than I've spent with any other human in this world. If you think about that, like, that's like eight hours, nine hours a day for 15 years. That's more than my mum and more than my wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm sure, and your wife will say, yes, it's absolutely more than me. And that's got to change in 2019, Ollie. Final chat coming out with Ollie. Plus, we're playing a track from Alduro. Stay with me here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. 
Al Jarreau with You Touch My Brain. I'm with Ollie Manel just for a few more minutes. I mean, you talked about your values and you and Nicola you know, have, have obviously got compatible values. As you look to the next few years, you've now got investment from you know the business you almost went into, into private, the world of private equity. What are your expectations of yourself as a human mm-hmm. in that? What do you want from it? Because the money's coming. You're not paying yourself £25,000 anymore. You've got revenues going this way. You've got ideas to go international. You've got concessions over here, Selfridges over there. It's pr- all pretty good. And you're mm-hmm. a 36, 37-year-old guy. What do you want for you? What will satisfy Ollie? Uh, well, first of all, I think those things uh, uh, I think those things change over time. Uh, I think when I first set the business up with Nick, age twenty three, you know, I wanted to have a really nice car, the um, Porsche. Well, yeah, but I told no, I told, like, yeah. I told at that point yeah. from, the, from the business, <laughs> the Porsche you know, didn't last very long. Yeah, I wanted I wanted you know a nice watch. I wanted all these material things, and then and then I think as time goes by and 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 and. I, I want those things less and less and less now. I don't. In fact, like I'm, I'm, I, you know, I don't, I don't have a watch. I have a basic car. I have a lovely home. That was really important for me. And now that I've got that, I don't really, I don't really aspire to be wealthier from a monetary perspective. I just want to be the master of my own time. I feel like there's no greater privilege than waking up every day and choosing to do the things that you're passionate about. Being like for me, you know, we've got you know, two little boys. Like, I want to be a really good dad. You know what I mean? I want to be able to take my children to school in the morning and sometimes pick them up and be there for them when we have dinner in an evening, read them books. And, and sometimes it's hard and you're knackered and you haven't got the energy to read a book in an evening. But like, I think that's really important to me that I, could, I, want, to be, I want to be the best dad I can possibly be, be a really good husband, you know, and, and, just, like, and just choose and do interesting things. And actually, the, the, the lovely thing about what we've achieved with Neom is that you know, we, we have we have got our house sorted now and it's not it doesn't feel really risky anymore. For the mm. first fourteen years it always felt like a massive risk and if it were to fail, I've got nothing. And now that, that safety blanket is there, I feel like life is just about choosing things that you're passionate about and having fun. And and do you think you'll be passionate about this and having fun about Neom in three, five years' time? And if you're not, what would you do about it? Well that's the beauty about 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 being your own boss. You know, you can okay, one of the things I'd love to do one day is make a documentary. I feel like there's a filmmaker inside me. Well, okay, we'll just do that through Neom. Hmm. Let's think of a let's think of an interesting topic where Neom's gonna have something to say on it. Let's make a mini documentary out of it, and I'll and I'll we'll get a director in, and I'll and I'll and I'll work experience on it for three weeks. Mm. Like you can, you Neom could be used as this wonderful um, platform to pursue the things that you're interested in in life, uh, and of course there has to be um, you know financial success that comes along with it. We've got investors on board now, um, um, and you know we need to have we need to create a return. But I just think like life is not just about profit; it's about purpose. And you know you have to have a life of meaning. And at the end of the day, no money is going to change that. You, you you know you want to be able to get out of bed in the morning and enjoy what you do. And that's just what I, I aspire to do. It's been really good talking to you, Ollie. Oh, thank you. Um, really enjoyed it, and a lot of food for thought as well. And what you said, you say some very wise things. Um, just before I let you go, what's your song choice, and why have you chosen it? So my song choice is "Better Not Look Down" by BB King. 
And I just think it's a really optimistic song. And, and I think the first line is um, people moving at the speed of sound all day and all night and looking down. And like, I kind of feel like people are doing that, looking at their phones, looking down, moving quickly. And actually, you know what? Just like look up, look around you. It's a beautiful world. You slow down, you know, yeah, have a little bit of well-being, sense of well-being in your life and you'll have fun. That was B.B. King and the Crusaders. Better not look down. The song choice of my business shaper today, Ollie Manel. A guy who was totally optimistic, but also really realistic about how hard it was to set up that business. Great advice around whatever you do, don't give up that equity. People really are either hares or tortoises, and maybe it's better to be the tortoise and hang on to that equity for as long as you possibly can. Um, and finally, that, that point about all he wants to really be is master of his own time. I love that. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers. <laughs>